right? And you, you've been told, you've been warned, or, or maybe you just feel in your heart, you know, I shouldn't do this, but I still do it. Anybody ever done that? We, I think we can answer that just because we've all been kids, right? And kids constantly do what they're, not to, what they're told not to do. So um, on a single hand, I think today I can count all the things I've done wrong like, since this service started. So I think it's something we can all relate to. We've all done something uh, that we know to be wrong, that we've been warned about, we've been told we shouldn't do. Uh, when I was younger, I loved Ninja Turtles. Anybody like Ninja Turtles? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Now, is anybody like like first generation? Like, I know Cam. Cam's over there. I know Cam. Yeah, first generation Ninja Turtle, like when it first came out, just fell in love. I loved Ninja Turtles growing up. I had the action figures. I, I had birthday parties that were like themed Ninja Turtles which is awesome because per, pizza goes perfect with birthdays and pizza is all about Ninja Turtles. Um, I was even pretty, pretty good at the like Ninja Turtles arcade game. You, you guys remember arcade games, right? For students in here, arcade games are the video games that are as big as refrigerators, right? And they're much, much harder than video games nowadays because I've played both and like you could play for 30 seconds for 50 cents and then you had to pump more money in there. But anyway, so I loved Ninja Turtles. And if you know anything about Ninja Turtles, they have these awesome, uh, like, headband masks that they wear. And they're different colors. They represent the different Ninja Turtles. And um, when I was growing up, I thought that all I needed to do to be as awesome and as talented and as ninja-like as a Ninja Turtle was have one of those headbands, right? And so just wandering through my parents' house as as a child, like five, maybe six years old, maybe even younger than that, I'm not sure, I stumbled across my mom's sewing drawer. So she's got, like, needles, which luckily I didn't get into the needles, right? But, I mean, like, uh, like just different fabrics and things like that. And I found what would be the absolute perfect Ninja Turtles mask. I mean, like, absolutely perfect. In my brain, it clicked. And I was like, Ninja Turtles. Right, I want you to picture this. This is what I found. I found this big spool of white lace, lace, ribbon. Right? So what are you thinking about when, you, when I say lace? You're, you're right. It's got holes all in it. It's very frilly looking. Uh, it sh- like, should make things fancy, not make things ninja. Right? But for some reason, as a child, I was like, Ninja Turtle mask. Right? And can you imagine me, I, and picture it now. It's funnier if you picture it now. But with a white lace Ninja Turtle mask running around, like, jumping, kicking and chasing my sister through the house and just going nuts with it. Like, I do, again, I don't know why it stuck out that, that this is the perfect thing to make this with, but it was. And so I was like, all I need to, to make this happen is scissors. All right? you, parents, you know where I'm going. All right? I did not possess a scissor license at that point. I was too young. I could not operate scissors without my parents present. Like, the only scissors I could do is like those terrible, just awful safety scissors that can't cut anything. They just fold your paper for you, like it folds down, like they're awful. So anyway, <laughs> I am young, need, in need of scissors, and so there's only one thing to do, and that is a heist mission. So I sneak in, find the scissors, try to sneak through the house to make my awesome Ninja Turtles mess, and I get caught, right? And you know what happens when you get caught as a kid? I got spanked, and that's, and that's okay. I'm not bitter about that. I'm, I'm for spanking. I learned, learned my lesson, but... Um, I got caught doing something that I had repeatedly, repeatedly been told I shouldn't do. 
And it's not because my parents are like, we don't want Ben to have any fun, so we're going to make all these rules. It's because they didn't want me to stab myself with some scissors, which is a good thing. I would have probably eventually done that. Um, and so I think we can all relate with that because we've all been caught. Right? We all agreed we've done things we know were wrong. Uh, can we all agree that at some point in our life, and, and maybe think about your, your childhood, but maybe uh, in your, you know, if you're a teenager, if you're a y- young parent, or maybe you're older in here, like, we've been caught before, right? We've, we've had something that we've done kind of brought to light and said, hey, I saw you do this, or I've witnessed this in you. I've, I've seen you struggling in this, and, and it's this feeling of being caught, right? I think uh, for some of us, like, maybe someone has caught us in a lie, and they call you out on it, like, well, I know that's not true. Or maybe someone has uh, lost respect for you because of something that you've done, that you've done, you've, they found out about, and, and then the person's just like, well, I thought you were different. I thought, thought you wouldn't be doing that st- type of stuff. Um, and, and sometimes when we get caught, it, it's, it's serious circumstances, serious consequences. Like, you might lose a job, or, or lose a friendship, or lose a marriage. Uh, we're finishing up this series of psalms, right? We're finishing up today, and, and I thought, what, what better a way than, than to finish with this psalm that we're going to get to in just a second? But the reason I love all of the psalms is because it's kind of like a roller coaster. It's all everywhere, up and down, side to side. You finish one, you start another one, and it's like, okay, we're somewhere completely different, right? Uh, King David that wrote the psalm we're looking at today, he wrote a bunch of the psalms, and if you took all of them and put them together, you'd be like, I think this guy is bipolar, right? There's like, he'll, one, in one of the psalms, he's like, everything is fantastic. God, you are blessing us. You are with us. You are guiding us. And then the next time, it's like, God, where are you? Everything is falling apart. Nothing is going right. And the next one, he's like, okay, God, you are literally laying out our future for us. And I know that wherever we go, whatever is going on in the present, you are taking care of our future. And then the next psalm, it's like, hope is gone, right? I don't think I'm going to make it till tomorrow. And so I love that because it's, you see the extremes, right? You see the mountaintop highs, you see the valley lows. And what's awesome is that throughout the Psalms, you get this message, that God hears our cries. That when, we're, when we feel close to him and we feel like he is, we're, we're closer to Jesus, we're, we're growing in Jesus, we're, we're more spiritual than we've ever been, everything is just peachy keen, God hears our cries. When, when we feel like I haven't heard from God in a while or every time I pray it feels like he's not there, God hears our cries. And so in those ups and downs, we know that truth. So if you have your Bible turned, or, or click, nowadays you can click, turn or click to Psalm 51. That's the psalm we're going to be looking at. And first and foremost, I want you to understand this. This is a psalm of confession, right? A psalm of confession. You're going to hear that word a lot today. And so a little backstory. I think if it's a psalm of confession, if we're going to hear David talking, confessing about his sins and his transgressions, I think we should know what they are, okay? So here's the backstory. It's a good one, all right? So it's not, it's not good, but it's like a juicy story. We love juicy stories. So David, King David, uh, a.k.a. Peeping Tom, is um, on his porch eating grapes, chilling. And he looks down onto the, the, the roof of this other house, and he sees this lady named Bathsheba. Right? I don't think he knew. Hey, that's Bathsheba. But Bathsheba. And, and, and she was taking a bath. And generally, when you take a bath, you have no clothes on. 
Okay, so instead of doing what he should have done, like grab his grapes and take it inside and, and just, you know, finish the night, give her some privacy. Instead of doing that, he calls as being king. He's like, servant, go get her and bring her to me. And so uh, that's not a good idea. Don't ever do that if you're king. I don't think that would ever happen. But so he commits adultery with, with Bathsheba. She's a, she's a married woman. Uh, her husband is a, is a commander in David's army. And so he commits adultery with her. She becomes pregnant. He's trying to trick her husband into sleeping with her so that, so that they'll think that the pregnancy is because of them. That doesn't work. And so he sends Uriah, her husband, to the front of the battle lines, right? In the hopes, like front of the battle, like, all right, Uriah, we're going to attack this, attack these people. Uh, we're going to send you first, okay? See how that goes. And so his hope is that Uriah is going to be killed. And he, it works out works out thinks that he's figured it out he thinks that um he has tricked the system and that everything's good right he's gotten away with this but that's the problem he hadn't the lord sends this prophet nathan to to david to confront him right to to tell him like you think you got away with this but you didn't you're caught right and so all of this stuff the 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 adultery, the, the, the plotting and the murder and, and trying to cover it all up. This is what he's confessing to. This is what he has been caught in. And so let's look at Psalm 51. Let's just take a second. We're going to read through this. Bear with me. I've got a lot to say. I'm going to try and say it quickly. But sometimes when I do that, I slip up and mumble. We call them Moses moments at students because Moses had a stutter. And I have those types of things too. But uh, let's read this together. Not together. I'll read it for you. But it will be on the screen. You can read it with your mind. Um, let's read this together. I'm going to pray really quick, and then we're just going to dive in. And I just hope today is encouraging. Right? You might right now be thinking, okay, Ben's talking about confession. He's talking about wrong things we've done, and you're, like, getting a little nervous. Right? Maybe that's a good thing. It's okay to, to get nervous in church, but I want this to be an encouragement to you. Right? I want this to be uh, a Sunday and a, and a message where you walk away not, not focused on our struggles, but focused on God's goodness, right? Not focused on the things we've done wrong, but focused on the love and the steadfast love, the undying mercy and the grace of God. Okay, so let's read this passage. Psalm 51 says this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the, bon let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, 
and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You'll not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Let's pray real quick, guys. Father God, as we study your word, as we look at this passage of confession, I pray that you would be present in this place. That you would open our eyes, our ears. I pray that you would speak through me. And I pray that that we would be encouraged by your love. But I also pray that we would be convicted of the things that are holding us back. Where we would be challenged about in the areas where we need to seek you first or, or return to you or for the first time hand those things over to you. And so, Father, I just pray that you would move during this time and that you would speak directly to our hearts. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so. Like I said, confession. You guys see that in that language? In, 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 the, in the way that David is passionate about his confessing his sin and asking for forgiveness from God? It's, it's, I think that uh, when we think about confession, you might think of like the, the Catholic confession where you sit next to the guy and you tell him everything and he's supposed to be better than you in some way and he tells God something and I don't, you know, I don't understand. I, think, I thought Jesus was supposed to do that anyway. So... Um, we maybe you think of confession as more of a lip service. You're like, I, I need to confess this, um, and I'll, I just need to tell you, you need to hear it, and then we can work through it. Uh, but I think that what this passage is showing us is that there's, there's deeper things going on. Right? There's deeper things going on in this passage other than just confession. And I say that to mean confession is, is this whole thing is, is, is an act of confession, but within it, there's other elements at work. And so I think uh, that what God is trying to teach us and what, what he is even teaching David as he writes this psalm is about confession, forgiveness, and repentance. Right? And, and as we look at this passage step by step, I think we'll get a better understanding of this, this process. Like, it's not necessarily a step one confession, step two forgiveness, step three repentance, because what it is is it's a cycle. Right? And repentance... Uh, causes us and leads us to confession, which, which then in God's mercy leads to our forgiveness, which our forgiveness then in, in cause like gets us passionate and pumped up and, and, and living in a repentant way, right? So it's an ongoing process. But the first thing we want to look at is, is, is this first thing that's on the screen, it's confession, right? With this being a psalm of confession, like I said, you're going to hear that a lot. But with it being a psalm of confession, this whole psalm, the purpose of it is confession. So this, him writing this is his, his, his act of confession. But even within that, there's areas, there's verses where he has more of a uh, confessive, if that's even a word, where his language is more about his confessing of what's going on. Let's look at verses three, and, 3 through 5. It says this, For I know my transgressions. It's ownership. I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. See, there's sincerity there. Do you hear that? It's, it's not, it's, it is like a, 
there's a, he understands the weight of his sin. He understands what he's done and that it's a serious thing that he's done it. There's a sincerity there. And I think right off the bat, this is where we stray from the path. Right? Let me ask you a quick question. Have you ever done this? Like you've been in an argument with a brother, sister, mom, dad, or wife or at work, and, and um, it comes to the point where you need to apologize, right? Or, or maybe you've been caught and it's time for you to apologize and you give them one of these. Sorry. Right? Did that all, kids do that all the time. Say you're sorry. Sorry. You're not even looking at them, right? Or it's like, I apologize. I'm really bad about doing it with my wife and when she's like, Ben, you're being really dumb. And then I realize that I'm being really dumb. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry. They're like, you're right. You got me. I'm sorry. It's not sincere, right? It's like sarcastic. It's like, you, you need to hear the words I'm sorry. I, I need to say I'm sorry, but I'm not going to mean it and I'm not going to be happy about it. Right? There's no sincerity there. We're not sorry. And I think for a lot of us, if we're ever caught or we've ever find ourselves in a, in a situation or, or dealing with sin in our lives, and specifically if we've been caught, if someone's like, hey, I see this in you and it's not a good thing, or I just saw you do what you just did and that is not a great thing. There's a, there's a sorriness, right? but it's not sorry about this thing that we've done, this act we've committed, the things we've said. We're sorry we got caught. Right? You, you see the, you feel the difference there? We're not sorry. Uh, when I got caught trying to make the, the most perfect, the world's most perfect Ninja Turtle mask, right? When I got caught, I wasn't sorry because I had disobeyed my parents and I had put myself in danger with, a, with scissors. I was sorry because I got caught and there's consequences. Right? I'm not going to be an awesome Ninja Turtle as soon as I thought at least. I'm still on that, still on that journey right now. But so we're, we're sorry because we got caught. And see, I think that this is, there's a big difference between truthfully being sorry for what you've done, being truly repentant, and we'll get to that in a second, and, and feeling the weight of what we've done, and just in lip service saying, I'm sorry. Right? And I think that the, the difference is false confession, right? that, that, that just, I'm sorry, I'm turning, let's just forget about it and we'll move on. False confession is for the offender. Right? That's selfish. It's for us. It doesn't. It, it does nothing but help makes us feel better, like feel better and sleep better at night. Whereas true confession is for the offended. Right. So false confession is for us to make us feel better, but the true confession is for the person that we've offended. When we understand what we've done, when you yell at your kids or yell at your wife or 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 maybe. Um, break a rule at work, whatever it is at school. False confession is just trying to end that situation as, poss- as quickly as possible. I'm sorry, it's not going to happen again. Let's just move on. True confession is understanding, I hurt you, and I'm really sorry. And I understand that, that what I've done has caused you pain, or what I've done is, is, is not helpful to our company, or not helpful to our relationship. And True confession is for the people that we've offended. So confessing only because we're sorry and that our sin, sorry that our sin was exposed is selfish. Uh, and, and we just want everything to be done and over with. But this is what I want you to write down if you're taking notes. True confession is rooted in humility. Right? True confession is rooted in humility. Verses 3 and 4, it says, I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned. 
Right? There's humility there. It's like, I realize that I've sinned and I've hurt you and it's no one's fault but mine. No excuses. This is on me. And that's the mindset that truly appreciates this next, next, next aspect that we're going to talk about, and that's forgiveness. So David humbles himself, right? And he, he confesses his sinfulness. He owns up fully to his wrongdoings. And then but this next thing happens. David realizes that because he's owning up to his sin, he, he doesn't deserve the forgiveness that he's asking for. That's kind of scary if we stop right there, that, that when we think about sin, the things we struggle with, and the fact that it makes us not deserving of the forgiveness that we would like. It's kind of scary to stop there. But look at what David does. He knows that God is a merciful God. He knows that it, in his humility, he can plead with God and ask for forgiveness. Look at these, these several verses really quick. Verse 1 and 2. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Uh, six and seven. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, I shall be whiter than snow. Forgiveness. Forgive me. Wipe clean the things I've done. And then lastly, nine through eleven. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart. O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit. David's not making excuses. He's owning up to it. He's not saying, well, you drove me to this or you put me in this situation which was just begging me to do what I did. Right? He's not saying, well, you made your, the office that far away from my house and that's why I'm, I'm late all the time or that's why... Uh, I, I think it's okay to leave early so I can beat traffic. No, it's not, no excuses. He's not saying you haven't been paying me enough attention and that's why uh, I, I've been looking at the things I've been looking at on the internet or, or giving attention to someone that I shouldn't be. There's no excuses. It's owning up. And, and what I think is really cool is if you look at the language uh, in the, that, those first two vo- verses that we just read, we're not going to read them again, but if you look back at those verses 1 and 2, um, What's awesome is when David's talking about God, he's talking about God's goodness. He's talking about God's love. When he's talking about himself, he's talking about his sin. So it's God's good. I'm bad. I'm sinful. I'm messed up. I'm struggling. But God, you are merciful and loving in a way that pursues me, in a way that, that sends his son to die eventually, to cleanse me of these things. Here's the point I want you to understand uh, about what David is, is doing uh, as he asks forgiveness. Uh, this is kind of, it's kind of a heavy statement, but I'll, I'll work through it with you. I think that David, the truth is David's not belittling his sin. Okay? Like I said, he's owning up to it. He's not trying to downplay the, import, the, the uh, seriousness of his sin. He's actually he's just celebrating God's forgiveness. Right? So he's not belittling his sin. He's celebrating God's forgiveness. And that's doing, he's doing that in humility. He understands where he stands because of the sin that is in his life. And he doesn't try and downplay it. Instead, he acknowledges it and he leans into the goodness of God. Right? So it's not, I have to take care of this sin. Right? 
I have to cover it up. I have to make it look as good as I can. Then I can come to you. It's like, okay, that's really nasty. I'm going to lean into you. Right? I, I can't. There's nothing I can do about that, and it's terrible, and I shouldn't have. But, God, you're good, and I know that you, can, you will forgive me of that and cleanse me of that. And David knows. See, back in that day, there, there was a sacrificial system. You know about that? Like the way that they atoned for their sins is they would sacrifice animals as kind of like this, this symbol, symbolic action of, of, um, of putting to death their sin, but also God punishing uh, the animal instead of them and having mercy on them and in their faith that God would heal them. So there's this complicated system uh, where all these animals are being slaughtered. And the problem with it is that um, you could, sl- you could you know, take part in the sacrificial system uh, and then they, God would forgive you of your sin. And then you go out and you still spice fries at lunch, which is a sin, just so you know. But yeah, you still spice fries at lunch. And then guess what? You got to go back. You got to take, you know, it's time to go back and take part in the sacrificial system again. It wasn't a once and for all thing. So David knows that those acts of sacrifice that everybody's involved in, that they're meaningless without faith, without humility, and without leaning in to the merciful God that we have. And here's the thing. True forgiveness is centered on faith. Even if you're in here, you're not a believer. And and you've forgiven somebody or someone's forgiven you. There's faith in that interaction because you, uh, in faith, believe they're not going to do that thing again. They, uh, if they're forgiving you, then you have faith in them that they've truly forgiven you. And if there isn't faith, if, if, if we're not trusting in the forgiveness that we're seeking or the forgiveness that we're giving, we're never going to experience the fruit of forgiveness. Right? And the thing about the fruit of forgiveness is, is there's peace and joy and it's life-changing, which brings us to this last step, repentance. And here's what's so awesome about the way that David writes here, is he's showing us how confession and forgiveness and repentance work together. Let's look at a couple passages. Uh, 12 and 13. Uh, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold with me a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. See, there's like this cause and effect. Right? Not, this isn't David bargaining. This isn't him saying, if you forgive me, then I'll do these things for you. It's if you forgive me, my natural reaction is going to be sharing that forgiveness with others and pursuing people who are far from you. There's, not, there's like this cause and effect. Look, you can see it again, verse 14. 14. Deliver, from me, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. And then again in 15 through 17. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a, con- and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. You see, like, there's that cause and effect. The Lord forgives, and David's reaction will be praising. Right? When you forgive a friend or a family member, the reaction, they completely understand what you've done. If they understand what they've done and what you've done for them in forgiving them, the reaction is, is changed. Their reaction is happiness and joy. And so for us, when we bring our sins to God and He so freely and graciously forgives us of for them, should be, our response should be praise. Not only praise, but repentance. And I looked up the definition of repentance, and it says uh, great regret or remorse. And so that's kind of sad. 
we don't like to live with regret and remorse, but I think more so it's an understanding. It's like we feel that we regret and remorse what we've done, but when we bring those things to Jesus, which we'll, we'll get to him in just a second, I promise. When we bring those things to Jesus, the guilt and shame that goes along with that regret and remorse isn't, doesn't hold us back anymore. Right? We can still regret the things we've done. There's things in my life I still regret and I still uh, remorse over, but I don't feel guilt for them because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And so that's kind of um, the repentance is, is this regret and remorse is a feeling we have inside, but it leads to a different way of living. Living in repentance. And, and this is what I want you to know about uh, Repentance is forgiveness, right? Going back to forgiveness, forgiveness should always be followed by repentance. Our forgiveness should always lead into a deep regret and remorse for the actions that we've committed, which then leads us to turn from those actions and walk, grow closer to Jesus, grow closer to God, and learn from them. But here's the thing we don't like that statement either, instinctively, right? We want forgiveness without repentance. We want to be forgiven for what we've done but we don't want to change right? we want to do what we do be forgiven for it and then go back to doing what we were doing and it just doesn't work like that if our attitude after receiving forgiveness is that then we haven't fully understood the weight of the forgiveness forgiveness should always be followed by repentance because repentance naturally occurs when forgiveness is fully appreciated right like Repentance naturally occurs when forgiveness is fully appreciated and understood. When you feel what you've done, you understand what you've done and, and who you've sinned against, right? You, understood, you understand what you've done, and then you bring that to God, and He forgives you, and then you understand what He's done for you that leads to life change, which leads to a new life. We run the loving and the merciful God. See, we can learn a lot about confession and forgiveness and repentance from this passage, but, but just like with the sacrifices of that day, without a repentant heart, we're not truly ready to confess. Right? Without coming to terms with the fact that we're sinful, without coming to terms with the fact that there's things we need to work on in our life, I don't think we're really ready to confess those things. And see, David knew that in his sin there was punishment for that sin that was carried out through those sacrifices, but that the most important thing was that the thing he was sacrificing was his pride and his sin by putting his faith in God. And it's just such a hope-giving image because it points us to the coming of Jesus. It points us to this, like this sacrificial system that just continu- didn't fail, but was just a constant struggle. I've sinned, I've got to go back and take care of this. Go on for a little while, I've sinned, I've got to go back and take care of this. It's pointing to Jesus who was the sacrifice for once and for all. For all of our sins. And in the same way that David put his faith into God, when we put our faith into Jesus... We are forgiven. And we are cleansed. And we are made white as snow. 
real quick, I want you to turn to Hebrews 9. I'm, I, prom- I promise I'm finishing up. Hebrews 9, verses 11 through 14, really quick. This just idea that, that whereas we've had this system of sacrifice, and Jesus is the complete fulfillment of it in this passage. Uh, but when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, not, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience? From dead works to serve the living God. That last line. From dead works to serve the living God. From this old way of life filled with sin and filled with frustration and filled with pain and hurt and hopelessness to a new way of life filled with forgiveness and hope and excitement and passion. I've got to wrap up quick because I told you I've got a lot to say, but I'm going to wrap this up. One thing I want you guys to understand, and then I'm going to finish up, um, is because of what Christ has done on the cross, like when we put our faith in Him, as David did in God, once and for all our sins were paid for. Like when we under, but when we understand the weight of our sin that we bring to Him, and when we understand just how good His forgiveness of those things are, or is, whichever that is, I'm not German, but when we understand the price of the forgiveness we're given, that leads to a changed life. That leads to repentance. Confession of what we've done, forgiven, forgiveness from God, leads to repentance, which then in turn, when we slip up again, which we will, leads to confession and forgiveness and repentance. And we live this life of repentance free from the deadness that we lived before and free to a new life. This is what I want you to understand. As followers of Christ, we are no longer defined by our imperfections. We are defined by His perfection. Right? We're no longer defined by the things we've done. We're no longer defined by our weak moments. We're defined by His strong moment on the cross. We're no longer defined by the things we struggle with in our, in our minds, by the thoughts we have in our minds, in our hearts, the way we live. We are defined by His perfection. And that doesn't leave us in a, in a life filled with those things, those dead works. It challenges us and it encourages us on the way through confession, forgiveness, and repentance in a new life pursuing Jesus. And so wrapping up, I'm going to ask that, that Sherry come and just kind of play a little bit. I love music. It connects me to God. And so she's going to help me land the plane. But this is what I know to be true about us in this place now. And I like to mention this because the, the, pro, the thought process helps me understand that we're all different, right? 
We agree with that. We're all different. We have different lives. We're going to get in different cars, go to different places and eat lunch and go to a different house and do different things. And we bring to this place on Sunday different situations, different struggles. We bring different fears, different doubts. But here's the thing. There's one solution for all of them. And that's Jesus Christ. There's one solution for all of them, and it was paid for on the cross of Christ. And so so today, sorry, used to speaking at night with our students. This morning, I thought, what better way to end a service where, where we've talked about confession the entire time than offering a time of confession, right? So we're going to sing a closing song, and we've got some announcements and stuff after that. But, but during this last song, I want to challenge you guys to do something. And it's not, out of, not just out of conviction or feeling sorry for yourself or feeling bad and like you're a terrible person, but it's out of encouragement. Right? I want you to take some time during this song and confess. And we have all this beautiful space right up here at the front of this stage where I want you guys to just come down and just maybe kneel for a moment, spend some time in prayer. And whatever that is that you, whatever that thing is that you're struggling with this morning, I want you to just give it to God. Own it, but then receive the forgiveness He gives you. And so there's two, I think there's a couple situations. For us who are in here and we're pursuing Christ, we have a relationship with Him. Guess what? There's still stuff in our lives we need to confess to. But there might be some of us in here who don't have a relationship with Christ. And you need to confess for the first time to Him. Because what He gives is free. And it's freeing. So if you guys, could you all just bow your heads for a moment, close your eyes. I just want to kind of let the Lord work as, we, as I end this and close this in prayer. I want you to just think for a second, what's God calling out? When I say the word struggle, I think our brains somewhere. I think our brains jump to that thing that we've worried about, the thing that we've fought for so long. We aren't going to win the battle. We're not going to fight hard enough, fight long enough to conquer sin on our own. That's why God sent Jesus Christ, His Son, to be to live a perfect life and be a spotless Lamb of God. Spotless sacrifice to be presented on the cross to pay for the sins of the world once and for all. That whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. So today, I want you to think about where you are. What is the struggle that you need to bring to Him? I'm going to pray for us. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Him, with Jesus, and you want to know more about that, you want to talk to somebody about that, do not leave this place without doing that. On the connection card, there's a, there's a little box you can check off that you'd like to talk to someone about that. I'm going to pray for us. And what I want to ask you guys to do as a step of faith is spend some time up here during this last song. Owning up to your sin.
not so that you feel bad, but so that you can give it to God. I'll just tell you, when I'm done praying, I'll be the first one down here, unless you come running, and that's fine. Let me pray for us. Father God, your goodness astounds me. That while we were still sinners, while we were apart from you, while our relationship with you was broken, you sent your son to die for us. To be the ultimate sacrifice that cleanses us from sin and washes us white as snow. I pray for all of us that you would show us our struggles. Show us those areas where we need to just give those things over to you in confession. Trust in your goodness and your love and your power to root those things out of our lives so that we could be dead to this old way of life and that we could live in repentance because of our uh, appreciation for what you've done. We could live a new life in a way that's pursuing you daily so that when we slip up, we know that Jesus is right there to pick us up, dust us off, and say, I love you. I'm forgiving you. Let's keep going. Let's keep growing. I pray that you would just move in this place, that you would bring us to respond, that you would fill this altar right now with people just crying out to your name. Not in heartbrokenness, in hearts filled with your love, in hearts filled by encouraging the encouraging truth that forgiveness is free to anyone who seeks it because of Jesus Christ. We love you so much. We thank you for the gift that you've given us in Jesus. In your son's name we pray. Amen. waiting to see Ashley. Once Ashley got in here, I knew we were good with our, um, our Freedom Kids workers. Um, let me just uh, get your attention here. I, um, I want to begin by telling you um, that uh, I love you and I love uh, being your pastor, um, but there are things uh, in life, they move from one thing to another, and Ten years ago when we started this church, I thought that I would be the pastor here forever and ever and ever, um, but uh, 
I've been offered a full-time position with the South Carolina Baptist Convention as a church planting strategist for the upstate of South Carolina, which I'm extremely excited about that opportunity. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. The only part about that that makes this extremely difficult is that I will no longer be able to be uh, your pastor here at Freedom. Um, so um, my last Sunday here will be June 28th, and um, I will serve just as hard between now and then as I have uh, for the previous 10 years. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, God um, allowed me, uh, chose me to, uh, to start this church 10 years ago. He, he put the idea in my heart and the, and the passion in my heart for that, and so we followed him to do that, and um, it's been the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, and it's also been uh, one of the most rewarding things I've ever done in my life. And um, But the time has come for me to, to step aside and let someone else take leadership of this church and uh, for me to take this opportunity to, uh, to be an influence on other guys trying to do this exact same thing. Uh, the, the, the South Carolina Baptist Convention um, uh, con um, contacted me about four years ago with this same opportunity, and I told them then I wasn't interested, not that I wasn't interested in, in influencing church planters, but that I wasn't interested because I was the pastor of this church and, and the time wasn't right. And uh, then uh, I had not talked with them again about that uh, over that period of time. And then uh, about the end of February, right before the beginning of March this year, they called again and asked me if I would consider being the upstate church planting strategist. So what that means is, is that I will, um, when I begin the job on July 16th, uh, what I will do is I will be helping try to get new churches planted from Oconee County all the way over to Rock Hill, down to Lawrence, Anderson, Greenwood. That whole area will be kind of the area that I'm responsible for. So I'll be trying to, to encourage guys who are starting, guys who have already started that the convention is funding. Uh, I will be in, uh, helping them. I will also be going to churches, existing churches. I, I don't know if you know this or not, but, you know, we give a lot of money to church plants. We support church plants right now. Most churches don't do that. I don't know if you know that. So I'm going to be going and knocking on doors and sitting down with pastors of churches that are a lot bigger than us, maybe some smaller than us, and saying, you need to give part of your money to these guys trying to plant churches. Uh, the need for new churches in South Carolina is great, and the need for being able to encourage the guys doing that is very great. And so, um, I, again, the hardest part of that, this for me is, is saying goodbye to freedom. Uh, but we're not moving. I don't have to move. Uh, in fact, I need to be in the upstate to do this job. To do this job, excuse me. And uh, and we're not going to leave the church. Um, I've I've already talked with the elders. I'm under their authority and and asked them for their permission if I could stay and be a partner at Freedom. Uh, so I will. And the reason I want to do that is because I've told you before, and, and I don't just say it because I'm the pastor. I'm saying it now as your pastor who's stepping down. Uh, if I was going to move to this area, if I was going to join any church in this area, this is the one I would join. This is the one I'd want to be a part of, and that hasn't changed. It also hasn't changed that, that I, I still believe in the mission of this church stronger than I ever have. And so I want to be a part of a church that's trying to accomplish that mission. And so we're going to stay and be a part here. So you'll still see Sherry behind the keyboard. Uh, you'll still see when you drop off your babies and Freedom Kids, Grace will still be there on the months she serves. Uh, when Emily's home, you'll still see her up here. So we're going to be here. Now, you won't see me as much. Uh, the the uh, nature of my job will be is that I will need to be in other churches on Sunday mornings. 
I'm going to have a lot of opportunities to teach in other churches to try to help them understand the need for church planting, the need for new churches. Uh, and, and after June 28th, which is my last uh, Sunday as your pastor, uh, I will intentionally uh, be gone for a while so that so we can have a break. Not that I'm saying you need a break from me or, and I don't need a break from you, but there needs to be, you need to know, okay, he really is gone. He didn't, he's not here just hanging around again. So there will be a, a, a time there, but I'll be back. And, and I will be here. It just won't be as often as you see me, and, and you won't see me up here. Um, I want to encourage you to do, well, let me tell you one other thing, um, just as I, I tell you about why I'm doing this. Um, I, I've, I've had a passion for, ever since we started this church, I've had a passion for starting more churches, and that's, that's why I've tried to lead us to continue to give money to new churches. Um, but, uh, but not only to give money, but to spend time with guys planting churches, to sit down with them, encourage them, help them learn from what we've learned. Uh, we've, Donnie and I talk about this all the time. We've made a lot of mistakes, and I want other people to learn from those mistakes. If I can keep them from making those mistakes, it's good. But uh, we, we went to uh, a conference in Atlanta uh, in October called the Catalyst Conference that, that our staff goes to almost every year. And Andy Stanley was the, the the speaker at the first session of the conference this year, and he spoke about Nehemiah, and, and, uh, and you remember the story of Nehemiah is where Nehemiah comes, he's from Jerusalem, but he's, he's been in exile, and he comes back home, and he sees that the walls of Jerusalem are broken down, and it breaks his heart to see his city in that, uh, in that state, and so Andy Stanley said, he challenged us as we were listening to him, and he said, you need to ask God, and you need to wrestle with what breaks your heart. And he said, what breaks your heart is where God is leading you. If something breaks your heart, that's the direction God is leading you in. And as I heard that question and as I prayed through it, the thing that immediately came to my mind, what, what breaks my heart is discouraged pastors. And if you've ever looked at any statistics on that, if you've ever sat down and, tr and talked to a pastor and he's real with you, he will tell you that pastors go through great, great times of discouragement. And as someone who has been in a time of discouragement and seen how easy it is to fall into that and how hard it is to climb out of it, um, it breaks my heart when guys are discouraged. And so I, I started praying through that day. And I shared this with the staff while we were there. I told them that that was my answer to the question. And I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know, but I prayed through that day that God would give me every opportunity to encourage pastors, to sit down and be an encouragement to, them, to tell them that they, that they can do it, that they can keep going, that God hasn't forgotten them. And so I've, I've had opportunities since October to do that, but I believe this is a door that God has opened, a huge door He's opened for me not just to do that from time to time when I have time, but to make that the focus of who I am and what my job is going to be over the next however many years. And so I say that to you so that you'll know this. I'm not leaving freedom because I'm tired of being the pastor or because I don't believe in it or because somebody on staff has made me mad or the elders have ticked me off. Listen, staff and elders have ticked me off before and I didn't leave, all right? And so it's not that. It's this is the next step God has for me. And, I, and if I believe this is the next step God has for me, I also believe that this is the next step God has for this church. This church is not about me. It's, it's way bigger than me. The mission of this church hasn't changed. Who you are as a people hasn't changed. And most of all, Jesus hasn't changed. 
the gospel is still real, it's still needed in this area, and we still need to do it. I want to encourage you to do a couple things, and I wrote them down so I wouldn't forget. And, uh, and you're going to hear me say this again. You're going to hear me say it on the 28th when I, when I teach my last message here. You'll probably hear me say it next week when I teach, even though it's my, not my last message. Here's some things I want to encourage you to do. And if you want to take notes and write these down, do it. Uh, but this is what I'll encourage you to do. The first thing I want to encourage you to do is I want you to attend and give consistently to this church. Keep attending consistently. Keep giving consistently. And maybe for some of you, the word that on the front of that is not keep, but start to give and attend consistently. But we, you're needed here more than ever. This is not the time for you to say, well, they're in a transition time. Cliff's not the pastor anymore. I think I'm going to take four or five weeks off or I'm going to withhold my tithe and, and save it up until I see if I like what they're doing. That is not the time to do that. There's never a time to do that, but this is not the time to do that. Second thing I want to encourage you to do is invite your friends to be here. You have unchurched friends who need to be in church. If this is where you think is the best place to be, then invite them to come with you. The third thing is I want you to stay informed. Make every effort to stay informed. Here's what I know is going to happen. Your elders and your staff are going to continue to give you information about the process that's going to take place. Your elders are going to be searching for a new pastor. That's one of the things they're meeting Monday night to begin talking about that. And, and, and you need to stay informed as they give that information. When you get those weekly emails every week that you get from, from Freedom Fellowship, if you have an email address and we've got it, you're getting it already. If you're not seeing it in your inbox, look in your promotions folder. If you use Gmail, it's in there. You need to open those and you need to look at them because every week we're going to be giving you information about what, what is happening here. And if you don't feel like you're informed, don't ask someone in the parking lot. Don't sit down and ask someone here. You ask your staff or your elders. You go to them and say, what's going on? I need to know what's happening. And they'll tell you. Next thing I want you to do is I want you to pray daily for your staff, for your elders, and I want you to pray for your next pastor, whoever he may be. I want you to begin praying for that guy right now because y'all are rough to deal with. He's got a hard time coming up. I'm just kidding about that. But seriously, pray for him. Pray for him right now. Pray for your elders. Mike Brees, Tracy Burkhalter, Vlad Sabo, Mark King, Gary Wilson, Don Dockery. Pray for those guys. Pray for your staff, for Donnie, for Ashley, for Ben, for Robin. I want to encourage you to work harder than you've ever worked before. If you're thinking, well, now's the time to take a break off the setup team. I've been doing it for 10 years. Don't take a break. Keep working. And then lastly, and this is so important, and I'm telling you this because I believe it. I want you to truly believe and truly ask God to help you to believe that the best chapters of the Freedom Fellowship story have not yet been written. The best is still yet to come with this church. God allowed me to start this thing. He's allowed me to pastor you for 10 years, and I've done the best I can at that. But I believe there's someone out there who's going to take the reins, he's going to take the good people that you are, he's going to take the resources we've got, he's going to take the mission that we have, and he's going to be able to take those things and do even greater things. Not because he's a better person than me or because of any of that kind of stuff, but because it's the next step that God has for this church. God has not forgotten us. 
Um, I'm going to, on the 28th, my last message, I'm sure I'll say some thank yous and goodbyes and stuff. I, I, I can't do that today, but I just will tell you that I do love you, uh, that I, I have loved being your pastor, and um, that's all really about it. I love you. And uh, so let me pray for us, and, uh, and we'll, we'll go home or go eat, whatever you want to do, and um, let's pray. Father God, change is hard for us, and new beginnings and endings of other things uh, are difficult because um, we like things to be the way they are. We like to know what's going to happen, and there's a lot of unknown today, Father, but we know that the unknown is just with us, that you do know. You know exactly what's coming next, and just as, as Donnie taught just a couple of weeks ago when when you said in that psalm that there was a, a path that you had for the Israelites that no one could see. There's a path you have for us as a church that right now we just can't see it, but we know that you know it, and so we trust you. We know that you're real, and we're going to trust you with it. Thank you for what you've allowed me to be a part of here, and I look forward to what you're going to continue to do at Freedom Fellowship. This is your church. You started it. You organized it, you've led us, and you died for us most importantly. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please come back next week. See you then.